0: Staying here with us, we invite you to take out the Bible this morning to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. How has your week been? Fair. Fair. Good word. Well, it's like mine at all. It seems that 70, if not 90% of my conversation. I've circled around one topic. It's been talking about what's been going on in the world, this coronavirus. It's been talking about how we should be around people or not be around people. I've been talking about the data or lack of data, the toilet paper or lack of toilet paper. What should I get from the grocery store tomorrow, not today? And it seems like it is impossible to avoid this topic. It's on every news source, every social media outlet, every store, every life right now is circling around this pandemic virus. And I wonder, what do we find ourselves to. Like, how are you really walking through this? And the reason that we're taking time to talk about this and that kind of this idea broadly today is that I think often the church doesn't talk about these types of things. This is life, real life, and real faith coming to collide. And we, we kind of like the idea that we get the gist of the Bible, the overall narrative, and the story, but we don't necessarily know how it plays into mass shootings. We don't know how it plays into reports coming out about scandals, about abuse, about global pandemics. We don't know what to do at times. When we begin to have conversations, and really what conversations sound like, we start a lot of sentences with, well, I've heard, well, I've read And our conversations go into this factual kind of reporting, and us trying to, to process out. And despite if you've done your grocery shopping or not, and even if you land on the side of this is far overreaching— and my guess is when you water down those grocery aisles, you found yourselves picking up things that you thought, well, maybe I just might need it. I know if I run tomato sauce or tomato stuff, I'm going through the token sauce. They're well stocked. Okay, and I've got extra modern turkey if you need it come to my house. And that was my concern by this week. Right at any moment, those questions, really are circle again, almost a constant question. I think we all wrestled that what if? What if I need what what if I need apples, what if I need canned chicken, and all the things beyond that. We go in places in this world right now, in these last two weeks, of what if I get the virus? What if I'm a carrier, but I show no symptoms? What if I know someone who has the virus? What if I can't work? What if a child gets it? What if an older person gets it? What if someone I know of? gets it. What are some reports they have on Facebook? And we go on and on and before you know it, your heart is pounding, your hands are sweating and you find yourself paralyzed with what to do in life. Life has already changed drastically for a lot of people. Schools have closed. Colleges have closed. Work is saying, work at home. you have a laptop now? Life is changing. Drastically, in everyday things, weigh on your mind as well as what to do with the circumstance. You will still need gas in your vehicle. I had a child ask me at 8 in the morning, what's for dinner? (laughs) Breakfast was just completed. Should you really clean out your gutters? these things will still happen, too. You have real-life questions you have to figure out. you are arm off tomorrow morning. You will dread it, just like you did in December. Life continues on, and in these days, it seems like we're living in unprecedented times. I, as a parent, never anticipated having a conversation with my kids, like, please don't hug people at church today. It was weird. And yet, it's the reality of where we find ourselves. And so I want to be very clear in my hopes, just for the next few minutes together. My hope, this morning is not to dispel a theory. My hope is not to support one media rhetoric over another. And my hope is not to predict the future of our country. Those are not what we're trying to accomplish this morning. Second, we are not gathering today to show the world what it means to walk by faith in light of hard things. You've never once seen me hold a poisonous snake saying, just have faith to hold this thing, because that'd be foolish. Our goal today is is not to show the world that we're going to gather no matter what, despite what you tell us. That's not why we're here this morning. In fact, just to gather even this small group of people was a long thought through decision that got weighed out yesterday with numerous opinions and numerous factors. And the truth be told, once I decided to hold the service, an hour later I said to Kim, I think I made the wrong choice. And even this morning, I think I made the wrong choice, and I think I made the right choice. We're not saying that we're going to take a break in the future, though we might take a break later on. We don't know. Lastly, a third, it is good for the people of God to gather together. We are saying that by gathering together. When times are good and when times are tense, it is good for the people of God to gather together. So today we are not a social club gathering, but we are gathering to worship and to fellowship in awkward ways that can't be close to people. We are gathering to sing to a holy God, to worship Jesus and the hope of the gospel, to be encouraged, challenged, strengthened by the word of God, the things that we look to do each week. And so it seemed fit that in the midst of harder times, we should do them as well. And so here we find ourselves in a moment that's difficult but the scriptures speak directly into this. See, hard moments are not new in history. They're not. This may be new to you and new to me where i told, I feel like, I'm being pressed in on, told what to do, what not to do, where to go and what not to do, what to buy, what not to buy. And I feel like my, my comfort is being pressed in in ways that I don't like, but this is nothing new for the history of the world. From the Garden of Eden, there have been moments that are hard. And so it is completely good and right to look to God's Word as truth to and his guidance. So to do so, Hebrews four, chapter chapter four, verses fourteen to sixteen, just a few verses. So us read them together. This is God's word. It says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so this passage here, the writer of Hebrews writes for really two whole purposes in this portion. And they are this. One, to remind us of the truths about Jesus. And two, to encourage Jesus' followers to remain faithful. So why are we in Hebrews 4? Because those two reasons why this author wrote these short verses here are fourteen to sixteen, And it seems fit that we spend time in them now, because there are truths about Jesus that you and I need to be reminded of every day of our lives. But perhaps we need more to zero in on now, and He wrote specifically to encourage the followers of Christ to remain faithful. And I think we need to be reminded of that today. So, does Hebrews tell us about Jesus that He is a high priest? Well, the question should be. Right. <coughs> a high priest. Well, the high priest was supreme religious leader of the Israelites. Right, You've probably have heard that reference in two different places, one in the grand area of the Old Testament, but also in the events leading up, including the crucifixion of Christ. you perhaps heard that term high priest in Caiaphas' reference. Or the high priest, the supreme religious ruler of the Israelites. He oversaw the responsibilities of a subordinate priests, so he was kind of above people and didn't tell people, guide people, give direction. The high priest would offer a sin offering for the whole congregation of people. He would conduct the service on the day of atonement, right? That was the tenth day the seventh month of the year. The high priest himself would enter into the most holy places, the holy place, sorry, which was behind the veil, the holy of holies, to stand before God. There was a sacrifice made for himself and for the people. That blood was brought into the Holy of the polis. It was sprinkled on the mercy seat to make atonement for himself and for the people for all the sins they committed during the year that had just ended. The high priest was a hugely important role. He was the human representative of all the people of God to come before God and say, I'm sorry please forgive us. Please wash and wipe away our sin. That was the role of the high priest. And it was done in such a way that God agreed. As the high priest faithfully carried out his service, the Lord God faithfully agreed to forgive. And so in this passage what we see, we see Jesus being labeled as the great high priest. Instead of entering into the temple to offer offer sacrifice, we know that he, Christ, went to the cross to be the sacrifice. It was his sacrifice that did away with the need for the high priest. When Christ was sacrificed on the cross, he did away with the need of the entire sacrificial system. Why don't you raise lambs and doves today to sacrifice? Because you don't need to, because that's been done. Because Christ took care of that and gave the complete forgiveness of sins to all who would call upon the name of Christ. And not only the forgiveness of sins is the securing of eternal life, that through faith alone and Christ alone, one will be forgiven and saved. And so, because that is who Jesus is, Jesus first is not a high priest who doesn't understand people. Jesus, we reference as a high priest, he fully understands people. Jesus does not distance himself from the world or its struggles or from the things that you think and feel and experience, except, except the opposite is true. Hebrews told us that, in verse 15, he says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet is without sin. So the writer of Hebrews here reminds us, and he writes his purpose, to remind us of the holiness and the greatness of Jesus. He's a far better high priest because he didn't have to go back to the cross every year. What Jesus was done once, and was sufficient. And that writer writes to encourage the followers the Christ, to encourage you and me today, to encourage us that this high priest is not distant, that Jesus is not just theoretical, he is not so far removed that he makes no sense to us, But Jesus is completely able to sympathize with our weakness. That Jesus lived and breathed on planet Earth. That Jesus lived in a family. Jesus had brothers and sisters on earth, He lived in a family. He had parents that were on earth. He knew the complexities of family, He knew the awkwardness, He knew the fun things. He knew the quirky uncles. He knew all those things. Jesus understood diseases. He understood viruses. He understood quarantine. Now, you won't find the word quarantine in the Bible. But you know what you will find? Societies that took people with leprosy and cast them out. Don't bear on the people, they said. Guess what that's called? Quarantine. Jesus understood those things. He walked around people with ailments that could not be healed by society and people who were cast out. Jesus himself was tempted, but Jesus all the time was radically different. See, church, Jesus completely understands what we're experiencing, what we think, and what we feel. And that's so important to remember. And again, I know we're keyed in right now, and I'm even keyed in right now on the coronavirus and all of its impacts, but that extends, again, months prior and months from now, years prior and years from now. That will still be a true statement that Jesus completely understands what we experience, think, and feel. But notice the difference, he reminds us. That though he experiences all those things and knows all those things, he did not sin. And so what does that mean practically? He he did not give in to temptation. That Jesus never wandered away from his heavenly Father in the relationship with him. That Jesus never sinned. That Jesus continually clung to the hopes and promises that God had laid out before him. And that Jesus was willing to walk in the plan that God had laid before. Now, don't forget Jesus in the Garden sent me, right? He, he was praying to the Lord. And he said, To what? His heavenly Father. If there's any other way to get this come from, this come from But, uh, your word, not my will, be done. That should sound a little bit similar because you just prayed something very similar to that. You prayed the Lord's prayer for this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, God's will reign supremely and perfectly. There is no sin. There are no aches. There are no hurts. That's what Revelation 21 talks about. When new heavens and new earth are established, there will be no more tears, and no more disease, and no more suffering, and no more death. That is what God knows and understands. That is the hope that Christ knew. And yet, even though He desired for any the way to take place, He said, God, your will be done. See, Christ never fails is because he never failed, that he is still today our source of hope. And so as we read Hebrews 4, we're reminded that Jesus is not of the world. It's not impossible to relate to Jesus. That he is our high priest who understands us and understands our thoughts and our feelings and he daily walked in righteousness. And so you should say, okay, well, why is that good for us today? Because Jesus is a source of hope because of his faithfulness. It's because Jesus was faithful that he is a source of hope today. It's because he didn't sin, he didn't fall, he didn't struggle, he is a source of hope today. Yes, it's true, in the hope that you too would not struggle, because he's our example. But more importantly, he's the hope that when you do struggle, you can still go to him. Verse 16 of Hebrews 4 says this, Let us then, because of Jesus, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's because of that truth about Jesus that we can go to Him with confidence. It's because of that truth that we understand and know that He gets our concerns, He gets our fears, and He gets our joys. It's because of that truth that you can be honest with Jesus. We can be completely honest with him, with the hopes that we have not to cower and fear the circumstance, but to stand in confidence in God's sovereign plan and his compassion and his mercy. Church, throughout history, the people of God have stepped into everyday life, into easy circumstances and difficult ones with confidence drawn near to God. And they stepped in those circumstances with the hopes that God might use them, and that they would be faithful so that God can use them. People like George Mueller. Perhaps you've heard the name before. George Mueller, born 1805. In 1836 he and his wife renovated their home to accommodate his 30 girls in need of a home. As time goes on, three more homes are brought. Later on, he is the director of the Ashley Down Movement in Bristol, England. And by 1870, over 1,720 kids are being cared for. George Mueller, a man who obviously saw the need and stepped in to meet the need. George Mueller, a man who never made one financial request and never went to debt care of over 1,700 orphans, but committed everything to the Lord in prayer. And there's even one fascinating as well documented story that some of these kids are gathered for breakfast and they go to the Lord because there is no food for breakfast. And they're gathering, praying that God will provide, and as they're praying, the doors knock on and bakers, they were bread to give them. And we can say, well, that's an amazing thing that God worked in that way to provide breakfast for them. And that is true. But you know how God provided through that? Through George Cooper. Being obedient to answer the call that God had placed on him to step into a space with confidence that Jesus wanted to use him in a hard time. The people of God throughout history have stepped in to be used by God in difficult times. People like Amy Carmichael, Amy Connelly was born in Ireland in 1867. In 1883, she moved to Belfast to work with and establish this ministry. These mill girls were there. In 1889, she gives a call to missionary work. Yet she suffered from this disease, this disease of the nerves that often made her whole, whole body just ache and weak and put her in bed for weeks at a time. Amy Carmichael feels called and moves to India. And as there she works so with these girls who are were dedicated by their families to serve the temple. And often part of that process was then to be sent out to become temple prostitutes. And as these girls would be freed or perhaps run, Amy took them in and protected them and provided for them in 1913, said she was serving 130 girls trying tried to flee this temple prostitution system. In 1819, they added a home for boys, many whom were the result of temple prostitution. She died in 1951, serving the Lord at 1883, spent her last few years in bed, still serving the Lord. And her ministry continues to support approximately right to this day 500 people of 400 acres with 16 nurseries and a hospital. And Amy Carmichael has many well-known quotes, but well, one is this, it is a safe thing to trust him to fulfill the desires he creates. And so I guess I'm asking perhaps, what is God placing you in? What situation is he putting you in? Well, we're all in one boat together at least. We're live March 15, 2020. The a large virus going across the globe that we're not quite sure what to do. And he has seen fit by his sovereignty to place you here in this space, in this time. So if we can agree that that is happening, then the question is, what is God looking to do for you in the midst of this? In a moment that's filled with uncertainty, how can you respond? And don't be wrong, this uncertainty is not just your uncertainty, it's not just my uncertainty, it's all people feel a sense of uncertainty, and we can respond with hope. See, we of all people are to give people of hope. Even right now, when we are reminded of our fragility, you are reminded of your lack of control of things, you can still have hope, because we have God who is steadfast and in control. So how can you respond? You can be hopeful. Secondly, you respond with compassion. You can respond with compassion. See, this church is a fantastic opportunity for true gospel living to take place. You may not agree with how people are responding. You may think some of the (coughs) things out of proportion you may think others are too lax and not considering the gravity of their choices, and the reality is that you and I don't need to try to convince someone to chill out of to care more. But we, you and I, followers of Jesus Christ, we need be people who step into situations willing to listen, fast with compassion, and overflowing with grace which ultimately drives out the hope that we have this found in Christ. Church, this is an incredible time to be the hands and feet of Jesus in very clear ways. As your families and your neighbors and your co-workers, when they talk, listen. Ask, what do you think of all this? And listen to what they say. Ask what people might need, and then seek to meet those needs. Some of you frankly are the toilet paper hoarders. Right? So give something to those in need. Just pray for people. Pray for our leaders, not only of our country, but the world to make wise choices. Pray for the virus again to be stopped. Pray for the healing of affected people, the protection of all people. Pray for the CDC and the scientists who are working to find solutions and plans. Pray for our health workers, by the way, who are still going to work in hospitals. The place where those infected are supposed to go. They still have to show up their shift. Pray for those people in your life that you would show the love and grace of Jesus that through this, they may come to faith in Christ. We live a fantastic time. And there are moments in our lives that we may feel that we need to provide opportunity for the gospel. Right? There's moments where you've lived your life like, how can I work Jesus in this? How can I talk about Jesus more? How can I bring Christ up in my conversation? Um, the table set for you. The gospel has been readily put in front of you to be on display. Because hard times, conflict, and uncontrolled situations are moments the gospel speaks directly into you Jesus, the High Priest, who walked on earth, who understands, who can relate, who can empathize and sympathize, and yet says, "Come to me, all who are weary and and I will give you rest." This is a moment in our world that gives the really the forefront of the gospel to be on display in virtually everything you do. I may have undershot my percent earlier when I started out saying I've had about 70% of my conversations come back around this some way, some shape, somehow. Probably close to 90% of my conversations. that have talk the about this in some way, shape, or and if in those conversations, I'm just listening. I'm going to hear some underpinning. I'm going to hear what's kind of holding that person together right now. Uh, or what isn't holding that person together right now. I mean, guess what? I don't necessarily have all the social answers. My kid's school shuts down on Wednesday. Are we supposed to hang out with people or not? Are we supposed to have friends with them or not? Are we supposed to just shut in or go out or show them my windows or not? I, mean, I don't know. Oh, there's a lot of these silly things I just don't have interest in. And I'm not trying to freak out, but I'm trying to be wise. I'm trying to kind of listen to all aspects of what the media wants to tell me. I'm trying to listen to what officials are telling me as wise choices to make. I'm trying to be a good steward of preparation of my family, making sure we have food in the next couple of weeks. Alright, as I, I think, I think my medical chaos will bit. but I don't know, I don't time machine. But I, but I know even in all those uncertain situations that I'm trying to walk through and keep on trying to navigate as just people, that God is a steadfast God. And I think what's happened is this. We don't like moments that reveal that we're not in control. And guess what this has done? This has revealed that we are drastically out of control. Vacations have been canceled. School sports have been shut down. Work from home. For how long? Maybe a week, maybe two weeks, maybe three months. Well, overreacting. Maybe you can tell China they didn't overreact. There's, man, it's so hard to know. So church, when things are uncertain thankfully we get to go to what is when we're not in control we have God who is in control and when others may say there is no hope we can confidently say no there is hope and this hope that we have is far beyond even my lifetime and so hope is out in Jesus church pray that's the best thing you can do that God, again, would stop things from moving forward, that he would heal the sick, that he would leave people where they are. Church, listen, be careful. The professionals are recommending things for a reason. Listen to them. Make wise choices. You can say they don't know anything. Look, in this realm, you are not the wisest person on the block. And that's just, that's, that's hard sometimes. Well, I know best for my family. Okay, but, but listen to wisdom and The scriptures are full about wisdom. So listen when people are recommending things. They're saying things for a reason. Filter in your mind. How does it apply? How does it work out to be every day? Walk in wisdom. And be a people of faith, hope, and love. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, says this If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy god or a clinking and symbol. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith, so as to move, remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. He finishes up in the chapter. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, that the greatest of these is love. I think we're called to care for people. I think we're called to love people. And I, and I was struggling out there yesterday. You friends came over and knocked on the door to they come play. And, yep, you just stay up there and I'll come get <laughs> you sit outside. And I'm I'm just trying to figure it out. We're called to love them. First love them through prayer. And then love them in tangible ways. How can you meet deeds of food or products? How can you just give someone a note to say that you're thinking about it? How can you love the love of Christ in all things? How can you do that? Because you have hope in a God that's far greater than certain. Even this morning, my right? Biblical writers were really transparent. I appreciate it about that. And the, the phrase that came to mind to me is, "Lord, I believe, but I help me with my unbelief." Lord, I believe, help me in my struggle. Help me in my struggle. Who knows what the next two weeks will unfold? That's kind of what we been looking at. Just so you know the data. Next two weeks are, are pretty critical, I say. For some, they'll live life like they always have, and life will go on, and it is what it is. For others, they're going to shell in and hold up and be very concerned and be do really, the best they can, because that's what they have to do. But I do think about two things. I'm the data. There are high risk people. And I actually affect other people. So I'm to be sensitive to those things. And we're trying to set that as a church, but how we do things, what we use it, and I do not adopt the community the rest of this month, just trying to be wise about what happened. I walk out, there's to kickstart tomorrow morning, and I'll be reviewing it in a couple weeks, just trying to be wise, just trying to kind of dial back and, and let things run in the course, because it's what we recommend. But even if something were to pop up the next two weeks after you don't understand as a culture, you weren't in control either that same us, or still says, again, come to me, all who are weary and ill, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Let us pray for wisdom. Wisdom how we walk through the circumstance we find ourselves in, but, but God, it is so much more than that. Because the truth that we're looking to, we're pointing to, and we want to to rest in God was the same truth that were there for us yesterday, one year ago from today, when we never even saw this coming, and will be true tomorrow, in the weeks and months after. So Jesus, I pray that you would help us to cling to the hope of God in Christ, that we would seek to meet the need of those maybe without food, and not sure what to do, or how to keep care of their own family, Lord. That we would be able to step in with wisdom and guidance and just handle things to show your love. That we would be sensitive to people. That we would be good listeners. That we would love people well. Because we've been loved well by you. You showed us that in Christ. your name.